I wasn't afraid of like this was the inverted commas the sacrifice. I knew that if I wanted to become a fresh rugby player, I'd have to sacrifice the kind of traditional college life. So, um, so subconsciously, you know that that's the goal, like that you want to be the replacement for Ron O'Gara, who's obviously you know a legend of of Munster. I was asked to start a game at ten against a team that like we should, you know, in theory, ninety nine times out of hundred Munster should beat, and we lost against Roni, and I played really poorly, like just. Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but Most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening, and be sure to send it on to some friends. Cheers. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. Today I'm chatting with Scott DC, who played 37 times for Munster before deciding to walk away from professional rugby at the age of 24. He then went to play with Lansdowne in Dublin, where I was lucky to play with him for a couple of years. We chat about his experiences in the pro game, how he got there and why he left when he did. And Scott is now coaching in UCC. We chat a little bit about that and... On the topic of coaching, he talks about times in Munster when coaches said one thing and did another. He talks about the mental side of the game and what the pressure is like having to replace Ron Nogara as Munster's 10, all while trying to forge a career. He also talks about the similarities and differences with club rugby and the pro game when it comes to playing and coaching and also gives some brilliant, brilliant advice for young players. So here is episode number 77 with Scott DC. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So how are you finding coaching? Um... Uh, great. It's it's very challenging. Like I suppose, um, the 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 difference between you know having played at a relatively high level and having kind of built up a bank of knowledge around content around you know whether it be specific position play or or thought you know your thoughts and ideas on on attack shape or whatever. Um, but then actually being able to communicate that and get other players on the same wavelength is, is always a challenge. Um, 
and then you've got the other kind of not the in other intangible pieces which is you know trying to build a culture there trying to build um trying to build a kind of a, a tactical awareness or knowledge of the game um that everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet i suppose is the, is the phrase so when they go out onto the pitch they're they're as prepared as they can be from a kind of tactical perspective but also from an emotional perspective to perform as well so uh that's great it is a long-winded answer as to i am enjoying it yeah the communication one is uh an interesting challenge isn't it mm. yeah the um i suppose because di- different players learn in different ways so you know whether it be you need to communicate verbally or whether you need to communicate via you know practical examples or they learn via the actual doing it so doing it themselves um so you kind of have to cater for the different learning needs of each of the different players but trying to keep the message consistent and making sure that each of them have the same under are you know, as close as possible to the same understanding so that when they're trying to execute something as a group or as a, as a subgroup that they're they're all on the same page yeah, and what's the schedule like in UCC where you are? What's what's your involvement there? So yeah, so I'm um, uh, I'm the back coach. So uh, Michael Bradley, who is obviously a very well known uh, professional coach um, with Connacht, Edinburgh, uh, Zebra. I think he had a stint as interim Ireland coach as well. He's the head coach, so he's a full time employee of the university, um, and then myself. Then Ken O'Connell, who's another ex-international, uh, and Paul McCarthy, who's another ex-international, are um, the three kind of assistant coaches split between backs, forwards, and kind of scrum and lineups. Um, and we have, similar to a lot of other AL sides, we have a block on a Tuesday and a block on a Thursday, so kind of two hours each evening. And then the players would also be uh, expected to, you know, follow a, a, a conditioning program with our S&C coach, uh, Dave O'Connell, who's also a university employee. Um, and we try and as much as possible, see if we can get a, a skills block in at some stage. So whether it might be kicking on a Wednesday or the guys doing extra lineouts on a Wednesday, or it might be they might come up early on a Thursday and do a lineout block um, before any formal training stuff kicks off. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's as close as we can get to kind of a professional setup, you know, but being cognizant of the fact that you know, these guys are amateurs and their, their priority is obviously their education. That's why they're at university. So, um, uh, in fairness to the department of sport and UCC, they've, you know, they make, they make all of the facilities available. They make, they, you know, try to put in place a, a strong coaching, um, group this year and all the, the kind of ancillary support, whether it be, physios or uh, access to the snc or access to um some performance i wouldn't say psychologists but performance professionals within the within the Marlake arena as well um so yeah that's great yeah and it's been going well in ucc in recent years hasn't it like so up and down so, so they they up until probably i'm not sure the exact year but maybe seven eight ten years ago they'd never played in the top flight so they got promoted to Division 1A um, and they, we kind of, you see, have kind of bounced up and down a bit. So between 1A and 1B and then last year, you uh, got relegated back to 1B. So we compete in 1B this year. Um, but it's a, it's a, it, it is a step down from 1A, 
but it is a very, very competitive league. The, the, the teams in the league are all seem to be relatively evenly matched, which is which means there's good games and you know unexpected results every weekend as well, which is great. Yeah, that's good. Um, were you always thinking of going into coaching when you were finishing playing or after playing? I had in the back of my mind. This was, you know, I obviously played with you in Lansdowne and you know Mike and Mark, Mark, Mike Roddick and Mark McEwell. Um, and I finished in, I finished just before COVID. Um, and we had just had a second child, so you know, my focus is on my family. Obviously, I had a career outside of rugby as well. Um, and Lansdowne were like, yeah, look, you know. My grandma said, "You want to come in for a, a day a week, or, or even you know, twenty minute block a week, and just do whether it be skills or a kicking block or a, or a back three block, or a, you know, spend some time with the 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 nines and tens because there there was a bit of a transition period where some new nines and tens younger guys had come in. So I agreed to that, and then very quickly, uh, Mike had been approached by uh, the Ospreys, kind of in, I would say, kind of autumn twenty nineteen. To, to return to the Ospreys they were going through a tough time to go back in there as director of rugby um, and, and help on their kind of I suppose club culture and their, their performance goals etc um, uh, so that resulted in Mark McHugh being elevated to the head coach in Lansdowne uh, so then Mark you know so Mike was a full-time employee of Lansdowne whereas Mark, Mark has a professional career outside of uh, the coaching side so he asked me if I'd come on, you know, twice a week instead. Instead of just doing the one day, we'd come on twice a week and start doing, helping him with the backs and helping him with some of the organisational side of it. So I kind of took that on. It was kind of just kind of evolved into it, and then COVID hit, so everything shut down again. So I had spent kind of like maybe two months doing one night a week, and then three months doing the two nights a week, and then we shut down. Um, and then the next, the following year. There was that energy a series announced where it was kind of only based in the province. Um, so again, Mark said, "Will, will you stay on for that?" There's not, there's not as much travel. There's not as much kind of, I suppose, logistics to think about, or, or as many games where you're going to be away from your family. So we stay on board. So I spoke at home with my wife, and she was, yeah, it's, it's, everyone was working from home at the stage. So it was a great reason to get me out of the house. Um, and then we we made the decision. We had another baby. We, we made the decision to move to Cork. Uh, and last year I didn't do anything. I wasn't involved in coaching at all. Um, but again, I was working from home. Uh, you know, spending a lot of time at home. And I suppose you can you can get a bit lazy. You can get a bit uh, uh, out of a routine or a bit kind of you know unproductive. So um, UCC, as I said, were relegated last year, and they were changing their. Their coaching ticket. Uh, I got a call just saying, "Would I be interested to come in and have a chat?" When didn't have the chat, um, and you know, obviously they were they were putting in place uh, a very strong coaching ticket and, and obviously access to all the facilities and trying to really build uh, a kind of three three to five year kind of vision as to where the club can go. Um, so again, you know, I had the conversation at home, um, and it, it kind of puts a bit of structure on my week. So. You know, I have to make sure that I finish work, whatever, whatever I need to do on a Tuesday and Thursday by kind of 6 p.m. Um, to make sure I'm in uh, in time for training. Uh, and then because of the knock-on effect is that sometimes I'm maybe a little bit busier work-wise on a, on a Monday and Wednesday. Um, and then the, the, only, the only real kind of, I suppose, sacrifice is that, or sacrifice is the wrong word, the only real challenge is, is that game days, you can be away a long time. So we, we have three teams from the North in our division. So there, you're kind of gone for 36 hours, really, if you leave on a Friday afternoon, you're not back till very late on a Saturday night. Um, and then we have 
five teams in the Leinster area. So we're they're full day trips as well. So we've kind of eight big away days where I'm kind of you know leaving my my wife and three kids at home alone. But uh, a small a small price to pay really. Um, so yeah, there's there's the. Uh, there's the kind of view and how it came to be. And I suppose, I suppose the, the benefit of being with a, a UCC is because of the, the university support structure and the university taking the decision to put in place a rugby program where they have a full-time head coach, some of the kind of administrative tasks um, are lessened on, on me. So my time, the time increment I have is very much focused on on-pitch coaching. It's not necessarily admin or session planning or or HR or recruitment or selection, you know, it's 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 very much focused on the coaching side, which is great. Yeah, good stuff because so much can go into all that other stuff with huge, coaching. Huge. Like I see the, the hours that, that obviously that Michael Bradley puts in, but you know, I would have I would have been exposed to the amount of the time and effort that Mike put in. But then more interestingly when Mark was elevated to, when Mark McHugh was elevated to head coach in Lansdowne, he has, he works, you know, a full-time job in a, in a, in a high-performance environment uh, in a big Irish company. The time commitment that it took from him to, I suppose, you know, make sure he was focusing on his, on his real job or his day job, but also making sure that he was putting in the hours and time to make sure that Lansdowne, you know, that we were recruiting right, that we were selecting correctly, that we were making sure our, our session plans were, we're up to date that we were liaising with the club if there was any off-field issues that you know the the, the lines of communication between the, the executive and the rugby department were were um, as clear as possible and the messaging was as, as, as clear as and concise as possible you know all that takes time um, and then you've got I'm sure there's other kind of you know ancillary things that are pulling off them as well whether it be um, you know an interview here an interview there or uh a sponsors day for Lansdowne or you know attending a, a function on behalf of Lansdowne or going to a coaching course on behalf of Lansdowne or etc so you know there's a huge time commitment to being a um, a coach of a of an elite amateur side as well not just a professional side yeah and switching over to playing when you were growing up was rugby always your number one sport and kind of number one priority so yes but not through any I suppose pressure. So my my family aren't a, a traditional rugby family. My dad never played. My mum's family never played. Um, but I've I've two older brothers who are ten and eight years older. Um, and the brother who's ten years older than me, he, he was quite into rugby and he he enjoyed it. He he actually ended up being uh, the assistant coach for my under six under eight team. Um, so I'd go. You know, he'd bring us up to training. It was kind of about. I don't know, a mile away. We could walk if we wanted to. Um, and we'd go up train and it was a really good group of all the, my buddies from school were kind of involved as well and their dads were involved. And it kind of just grew from there. Um, I would have played all the sports though. I came from a, a small town in Cork called Crosshaven, which is you know, a really sports mad town in that it's it's on the coast. So you've all the water sports. So obviously sailing is a very, uh, very famous sport from Crosshaven. Then you've got, you know, there's a rowing club there's uh, kayaks clubs there's then you come on, back on shore and you've got basketball club tennis club I lived next door to a pitch and put club so I played pitch and put all the time uh, played a little bit of hurling and football uh, played uh, you name it really I, play, I didn't play much soccer but you know 
you'd get a call the odd time saying they need an extra body when you come up and play and you go play. Um, so the, it was only kind of played as many sports as I could really until I was 12. And then um, again, you know, a, a very kind of fortuitous circumstances where I ended up going to a rugby playing school in Cork, whereas my older brothers didn't go to that school. Um, so there's these development officers uh, at the time it was kind of you know 25 years ago, but at the time they weren't, it wasn't as structured or as um, professionalized as it is now. But there was these two development officers, Finbar Regan and a guy called Charlie. I can't remember Charlie's second name, but they came down to the school, the small school I was in. It was only nine in my class. Um, and they, you know, they do like rugby days where you'd go out and play a game of tag rugby and a game of tip rugby, whatever. Um, and they mentioned it to the principal that they thought I was. Had, a, had some talent or was pretty good at it. Um, principal mentioned it to my parents. Um, unfortunately, one of my best friends, he was he was always going to the school I went to, which is Prez Cork. Um, so my parents were right, let's let's try and uh, get Scott into that school. So between beg, borrowing, stealing, doing the entrance exams, you know, trying as, you know, trying to call in as many favors as possible, um, I eventually got offered a place in Prez, which was great. Um, and I went in there. And it kind of took off from there, really, in that I was fortunate to be on a very good team with some future uh, future representative players um, and kind of played against you know, all the age grades up. So whether it be junior cup, a couple of years, and senior cup, a few years, um, won a few cups, um, and then played underage rugby for, for Munster in Ireland. Um, and then when I left school, I got offered a place in the Munster Academy and you kind of you start that process then, which is trying to elevate yourself into the professional ranks. So um, I probably had a very straightforward, you know, once once I kind of got into the school, it was quite a straightforward progression in that, you know, I played on the, all the teams, I played every year, I played on all the representative teams and then got offered the place in the academy and then, it, you know, you, you, you work from there then. So, no kind of twist, you know, uh, unexpected twists and turns, a very normal route into the professional ranks for me. Yeah, pretty mad though, the way uh, you're nine or 10 years old and just some coach development officer yeah. coming down and then said it to your parents and your parents are like, oh, well, let's try to get him in here. Yeah. And whereas if that lad didn't go down to your school, then you probably wouldn't have maybe yeah, played possibly, rugby. Who possibly. knows? Who knows? Um, in fairness, my parents did know that I was becoming very very interested in the rugby side in that you know we'd come home from training and i'd be kicking the ball around the garden for for the next couple of hours after that and, and i think at that stage my dad had started taking me to some of the monster matches whether they be in in musgrave park or the odd heineken cup game up in um in Thomond. uh so they knew my interest was there they knew i was you know obviously kind of semi-obsessed um so maybe maybe they were having their own thoughts as well before they were nudged by by this uh, development officer, but uh, that definitely put a a kind of a, a, an urgency, I suppose, on we need to give the you know given given the best opportunity, and you know I suppose it wasn't necessarily just rugby; like they're they were very focused on on the the education side of things, so they felt I'd get the best of both worlds, you know, a really good education plus the opportunity to try and maximize the rugby side as well. Yeah, and how did you find it then? When you left school, going into the academy, I found it fine. I suppose, like I didn't view it as a like. So I suppose when I I had played, I had played an under nineteen World Cup in when I was in sixth year. So we we played a. It was in Belfast. So in Belfast for three weeks, really exotic. Um, uh, 
and you know that kind of gave me a taste but it also kind of gave me a taste of how far off I was in that in that I was a really good player at school's level especially in Munster um you know I could probably get away with things that were you know technically underdeveloped skill whether it be left hand passing or or a defensive frailty or whatever um but that they were kind of ruthlessly exposed in the World Cup I didn't I played some good halves or good games and then other you know games where the pressure came on and my my skill set kind of deteriorated or or when it when it was stressed under pressure it wouldn't hold up um so then I kind of knew that I, I had to go to work so I went to work on my passing especially um and then I suppose the the Monster Academy thing was kind of like another opportunity to get better at those kind of core skills um and I wasn't I wasn't afraid of like this was the inverted commas the sacrifice. I knew that if I wanted to become a fresh rugby player, I'd have to sacrifice the kind of traditional college life. So um, it, that didn't really bother me. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't into the socialising side all that much. I, I, I hadn't started uh, to to have take a drink yet, and um, so it was just kind of a continuation of that. Um, and then I was very fortunate to play in some very good teams as well. So I, I came out of school and I joined UCC as a player. Um, and that team, we I, I played in UCC for two years and we had really, really successful two years that we probably won 80, 85% of our matches. Um, we ended up getting promoted. So we, we played in the old division two and we got promoted into the, the old division one. But over the summer period between when that promotion happened, they split the league into division one A and one B. So we effectively got promoted from division two into division two, which was renamed as uh, division one A. Um, and then I left UCC and I joined Corcan and we went on to win uh, the AIL that year and the All-Ireland Cup that year and I also made my debut for Munster that year so you know I was very fortunate up until the age of 21 everything kind of just went according to plan you know it was you put in the work and you get rewarded you you know you you do your you play you play your match you do your review you work on the things you're supposed to work on all of my kind of core fundamental skills were getting better. My kicking was getting better. My passing was getting better. Physically, I was more ready to play. Um, I hadn't started the gym until I left school, so did no gym work at all when I was in school. Um, so physically, I was getting more and more ready to actually play at, a, at, the, at an adult game of rugby. Um, uh, so yeah, the, and then I was, you know, the culmination of that then was being offered a, a professional contract by Munster for. Um, it was one year, and then I got a two-year subsequent to that. Yeah. And the you mentioned sacrifices there, so like the drinking, say in college one, and what else was it like? <clears throat> like, what was your schedule like, or what what was it like? You know, in those early years in the academy. So I'm going to make myself sound old here, but the the academy in those days was kind of going through a bit of a transition. That when I joined the Monster Academy, we only had. We had three weight sessions a week. So Monday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, you did a weight session. And then on Wednesday, you did a skill session. And then you trained with your club on a Tuesday and a Thursday. So you trained basically once on a Monday, twice on a Tuesday, once on a Wednesday, twice on a Thursday, Friday off, and you play on a, on a Saturday. And that was my year one in the academy. But then when I kind of got to year, I would say kind of three, definitely, Two is probably a bit of an amalgamation, but year three, all of a sudden, and this is the way it's kind of more run, it's more run closely this way now, is that the academy guys effectively mirrored the seniors. So 
if you're in the if you're in the Munster or Leinster Academy now, you, you effectively train as much, if not more, than the seniors, and you have to try and fit your your life around it. Whereas when I was in the academy at the start, especially, it was your focus is on college and making sure you go to all your lectures and you train really early in the morning, but you only train three times a week early in the morning. Whereas now the guys train effectively, they follow a nine to five schedule and they scramble to try and fit in college where they can. Um, so for us, like, so for me, the only, the only really intense period was in the summer. So when my friends were heading off at J1 or to Vancouver or to wherever, I was, you know, taking a two week break somewhere, a three week break somewhere, and then back into uh, a full time schedule with the with in the summertime you would have changed trained fully with the senior squad. Uh so a kind of a effectively a nine to five schedule. But as soon as kind of September and the rugby season kicked back in, you go back into your your reduced schedule from an academy perspective. So obviously they saw that that was probably not the right model to produce young adults ready to play senior rugby or, or of the skill set or of the physical physical skill set required. So they changed it to mirror the seniors. So I think now, like, it's obviously changed a lot now as well, that once we set up the, the HPC in Limerick, a lot of the academy guys are, you know, in college in Limerick or either in college in Cork, but very rarely based in Cork. They live in Limerick and they train in Limerick following a full-time schedule effectively um, and try and fit in college when they can, as I said. Yeah, and then when you was at 09 major debut, you mentioned there, yeah. how did you find that? Like you said, what, two, three years earlier, you saw how far off the mark you were at the very top level and yeah. were exposed a bit. How were you feeling then, like making a huge step up into the senior game? So it, it kind of, you know, it, it goes in, ste- in steps. Like, so you, you know, the first year when I played, when I was in the Munster Academy first year, I only played for my club, so I played, you know, 25 games for UCC and, and played quite well. And then I actually wasn't selected for the Irish 20s, which was very frustrating because I played the Irish 19s the year before. Um, but that kind of game, I suppose, a little bit of motivation to prove them wrong. And I, I was playing well for UCC and Munster were still, you know, keen on me to stay in the academy. And, you know, they were happy with my progress. So I was, you know, that was pleasing but also motivating that I wasn't getting the, the recognition from the Irish 20s group um, and then the, you know then you go into your proper first full preseason, and you, know, you see a huge amount of gain in terms of your game understanding because you're training with the, with the professionals but also your your kind of skill set develops and then your physical side also develops as well and then I think in my second year in the academy I would have played uh, a couple of A games so um, and back then as well the A games were were very few and far between. So when they played, like senior players played. So like I remember playing an A game with like Sean O'Brien was playing for Leinster. Easton Athiwa played for Leinster against us. Um, so you're going up there and you're, you're not playing against a guy coming out of school or other academy lads. You're playing against fully seasoned pros. Um, and I felt while, you know, I obviously wasn't as good as them, I could actually, I could hang on. I was able to play. Um, so that kind of filled you with confidence. And then I was still playing away with, with UCC and we were doing quite well. We got promoted. And then you get another preseason under belt and you're kind of going, John, I can definitely do this. And then you get selected for preseason games and you're kind of going, now you're playing against proper, full, you know, international guys in preseason. So whether it be we went to Leicester and we were playing against the two laggies of this world. Um, and you're kind of going, you know, I, I, can, I can definitely mix it at this level. Um, and then I sat on the bench for the first three games of the pre of the season for Munster, 
but didn't get off the bench. Um, and the messaging given to me was that you, at the time, it was you need to keep someone on the bench just in case there's an injury in the last 10 minutes. Um, uh, so I sat on the bench of those three games and then then went back to my club, went back to Con and played for Con. And then uh, the internationals were going into camp over Christmas. Um, so you're kind of back in training, but I had no idea whether it'd be selected or not. I was put on the bench then for Munster versus Connacht in the uh, in Thoman Park on St. Stephen's night. And again, it was like, you know, I think Ronan O'Gara was playing 10 and um, Paul Warwick was playing 15. And I was kind of covering 10 and 15. So I was like, you know, I'm, it's unlikely I'll get a run here. I only get a run if they get injured. So um, it was grand. And, you know, it was just sitting on the sideline doing your warm-ups as the SNC coaches tell you. And we came in at halftime and we were having the chats and then I just saw the physios were working on uh, Ron Nogara's leg on his quad and he obviously had international camp I think the following week. So they decided there and then they pull him off and it was like, Scott, you're in, you're going to go into fullback and Paul Warwick is going to go up into 10. And I was so nervous that I forgot to take off my subs jersey. I put my, my game jersey straight on over it. And I didn't take, I forgot to put in my gum shield. I left my gum shield in my sock. So I was just so, like, it was kind of so unexpected and, and kind of nerve-wracking running out to a relatively full home in park against Connacht uh, on the 26th. Um, and luckily, I think within the first few minutes, a ball that was kicked my way, I was playing 15, I caught the ball. And then you're kind of, all of the nerves kind of dissipate then. You're kind of just into the game then. Um, and, you know, we luckily we won and we had a, we had a, a, a great result. And then um, because I hadn't, I suppose, screwed up, uh, I was selected again on the bench three or four days later against uh, Ulster up in up in Ravenhill. Um, and Peter O'Mahony was on the bench that day as well for his first cap. So um, we we came, we both came on that day again. Uh, I think we beat Ulster up in Ravenhill and we flew down that night. And we, that was the first time we had a chance to kind of celebrate uh the fact that we had both got a few of us actually, Mike Sherry got capped and Duncan Williams got capped as well. So a few of us were kind of celebrating our, our first caps for Munster. Nice one. And how did you find it those first three games when the coach essentially said, kind of, we don't think you're good enough, you're just filling the spot here? Um, I suppose the messaging was slightly different. It wasn't that they didn't think I was good enough because they, they did select me on the bench. It was more that they they felt I probably what probably wasn't the right circumstances to test me. And I think we'd lost the first two games. And then we were playing Clinetley away uh, and we were losing by 10 points with 10 minutes to go and I was told to, to come on. And then we scored a try just as I was about to come on. And then the messaging was... We're gonna we're gonna see how we get on off the kickoff. I think we scored again about three minutes later, and then it was like we should kill the game now. So so you're not coming on, Scott. But then you know I played an A game, and all the messaging was still pretty good. Like and the coaches were were full of compliments throughout my preparation and my performance in the A games and the way I conducted myself during those game weeks. Um, so I, I suppose I wasn't disheartened. I was, I was disheartened because I wanted to get I wanted to play and I wanted to have a chance, but I wasn't disheartened that the messaging was like, we don't trust you. It was more that the circumstances didn't kind of come together and that I wasn't put on, basically. Um, but then I was, you know, I was happy you know, when, when I did get my chance. And it was through a, a knock that Ronald Gara took that I got on and I made, you know, I, it's not that I made a huge impact, but I just, I didn't make any huge mistakes either. Um, and you kind of, they give you a couple of games then to kind of get find your feet. Um, 
And luckily, I, I was for the rest of that season. So I was December twenty sixth, and I think we we finished that year, uh, obviously in May sometime. And I I managed to pick up kind of ten or twelve caps. Like so, that was a uh, that was a very rewarding year. Like, it was great. And is around then you sign a a full time deal? So I signed. I had signed. So I think around Christmas, I signed a development contract. So. Um, the messaging from Gareth Fitzgerald, who, who was the CEO of Munster Time, was you're going into your final year in college. Um, so we're going to give you a development contract so you can kind of focus on keeping developing as a rugby player, but also finishing out college. Um, and luckily, kind of, you know, that, that contract kicks in in July by kind of Christmas time. I'd, I'd, again, you know, 12 months later, I'd signed a, a two year full time contract then. Yeah. And there, development they're kind of like they're a step above academy they're not still not great money is it you're still just getting by really. I think it was like 15,000 maybe um 15,000 with with an incentive of an extra five so if you played an extra amount of game an extra amount of games you'd get you'd get the five grand so um luckily I, I I did I think it was I think if you got picked for five games you get an extra five grand so I think I got I had made that number and and made my 20 grand which is great <laughs> happy days yeah. And at what point did you feel like comfortable in that squad that you could do a job and that you should be there? Um, probably when I signed, not till I signed my full, my first full time professional contract. So when I was halfway through the development and I'd gotten another few games under my belt, and the negotiation started to offer me a full time contract. Uh, that's when you kind of feel like you've earned your place and that you deserve to be there. Not that, not that you deserve to be picked, but you deserve to be in the squad. Um, Cause you know, at this stage, you know, I'd kind of put in four years of, of, you know, pretty diligent work around all of the kind of individual skills, but also the kind of game understanding piece and all that kind of stuff as well. So um, uh, I suppose it's a culmination of a lot of things that you get your first professional contract. Um, but there's always, you know, there's always something to work towards. So whether it be, you know, getting picked in the more important Magnus League games or, or trying to get into the European Cup squad games. Or, and then obviously there's the international honours beyond that. So um, you, you feel that you're deserving of a place, but you don't feel as if you're the finished product either, I suppose. Yeah. And how did you find then potentially having to replace Roger, like the talk around that. So interestingly, so when I signed my two-year professional contract, it was also announced that Munster signed Ian Keatley from Connacht. So um, they were obviously making plans as to how they would kind of, what the successor succession plan to Roger would be. So I'd say, I think Roger's about 10 or 11 years older than me. So if I was kind of 22, I mean, he was kind of 32 or 33. So coming into the twilight of his career. Um, so uh, so subconsciously, you know that that's the goal, like that you want to be the replacement for um, Ron O'Gara, who's obviously you know, a legend of, of Munster. Um, but it's not going to be handed to you. So the, I suppose the... the the messaging I was getting from the coaches was, you're doing great, you're heading on the right track, but we need to give ourselves as many options as possible. So there was uh, obviously Keatley, myself, Paul Warwick, and uh, they had they had 
Jeremy Manning under contract at the time, but his contract was expiring and they didn't renew it, uh, which was a, probably a, a a tick in the in the in the box for me, and that I had kind of forced him out, uh, which was great. You know, it's kind of a, a pat on the back to say you're heading in the right direction. Um, and now the and that's I suppose you're very aware of that's when the real work starts. You've now been rewarded with a professional contract. You now need to kind of number one prove that you're deserving of it kind of every day, but also move up the ranks a bit because you're. You, you you then start being paid you know very well for a twenty one year old, um, and it's a it's a results based business, performance based business. There's there's no kind of room for sentiment, so it's a different pressure comes on. You know. Yeah, and would would you have been aware like because you know say in the media and it's people talk about it all the time say like Dave Moyes replacing Ferguson or whoever would have to whoever will have to replace say Sexton in the Ireland team or say replacing Raj in the Munster team or you know um, it's nearly you're never going to be at that level but would you have been aware of people like you know in the media saying like oh are these guys going to be good enough say yourself Keatley and whoever yeah well like yeah you're aware of it right because there's always you know those start of the year kind of Websites are doing kind of squad breakdowns and what what are what are Leinster going to do this year and what are Connacht going to do this year and what are Munster going to do this year, and they kind of break it down. The obviously the first thing you look at is is the is the back section and it'll say like you know as Raj enters his twilight and he's looking to get into the twenty eleven World Cup squad or or whatever. <clears throat> what's the what's the next you know who who's who's in who's in line to you know take over or who's in line to. Um, maintain that level of performance and drive Munster into the next generation because it wasn't just Roger who was part of that generation. There was, you know, there was a whole generation of players there that needed to be succeeded from. Um, and they were leaving very, very big shoes to fill, obviously. Um, so you are aware that there's a there's a, a, an implicit pressure on the young group, not just you as a person or as you as a position, but the group of you guys coming through the, the academy to take over from a, a very successful Kind of, I suppose, team and, and and group of players that had built Munster into what into what it was or into what it is today. I suppose, really, the, you know, the whole brand and the whole stadium and and the whole kind of mystique around it was built by that group. So you're you're you are aware of that there is a a succession coming, and are you up to that standard? And are you able to actually live up to that billing? How'd you find that? Um. You can't focus on it too much. Like you know, I suppose we would have had performance coaches and and who would have talked about only focus on what you control. And all all I could control is from an individual perspective, me getting better and my my you know key performance indicators that I'm looking out for as to what means I've had a good game or not. And then also be as an out half, you know, I have a responsibility on on team plays and team calls and, and, and a few other bits and pieces that I can control. But, you know, media perception or 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 even the you know the perception of your peers and your, your parents, friends, whatever, you can't control it. You do hear it, but you can't control it. So it was it was definitely trying to like push it to the back of your mind as much as possible or to uh, ignore it or to kind of not focus on it effectively. Um, it's easier said than done at times because, you know, as as you're getting selected, then you're kind of going, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for me to put to set down a marker or um, 
I need to play really well today because there's a block of games coming up during the Six Nations where if I play well today, that would put me in position to be the starter for that block or whatever. Um, so it's more about it's more about the immediate block of games or the immediate game in front of you rather than thinking, you know, if such and such retires in three years' time, I'll be the player then. It's more like you just want to, because it's so kind of short-term focused and every week is a new project and every week is a new challenge, you're, that's, you kind of don't really think beyond those weeks. Like, it's just about how can I get in this week? And if I get in this week, how can I maintain my spot for the next week? And then you like you know that there's kind of bigger blocks. Like so, the European games would often mean that Munster are at full strength, obviously, and you're trying to just be in the conversation. But then when it's non-European weeks, or it's you know the weeks around the November internationals or the Six Nations, you're trying to be more than in the conversation. You're trying to be like the the guy who's getting all the reps and training, the guy who's getting as much game time as possible. So the the succession side of it, you're aware of it, but it's not something you focus on. Yeah, and that's something that's really challenging in that when you get an opportunity and you're aware that this is your chance and you people tend to, you kind of build that up in your head as in this is my chance, I need to play the best game that I've ever played this time. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? Especially in those pro squads. Dude, uh, it was probably like, you know, being brutally honest, it was probably the reason why uh, I, I didn't get a 10-year career. I only had a, a three-year career. Was that, um, I suppose, uh, to give some context, I when I signed my development contract, I was playing, I had covered every position for Munster. So I played 10, I played 50. I probably played more games at 15. But I'd also come on on the wing. I'd, I'd, played, I'd played against, I'd started on the wing against the Ospreys. I'd come on on the wing in a few, against Leinster. I'd come on on the wing against um, uh, uh, Biarritz in a Heineken Cup knockout game. I had covered for nine when we got a player in the Sinbin. I had played 12 against Edinburgh. I think I played everywhere bar 13. Um, so when I signed that, that development year, <clears throat> had a conversation with the, with, the, with the coaches about you know I'm, I'm delighted to be in the squad and I'm delighted to be thought of as a good utility back but how do I get into the team as a starter like how do I how do I get into the team full time like I said I, I don't think I'm big enough you know 5 foot 10 and 89 kg to be a you know, top flight 12 or top flight 13 I'm not fast enough to be a top flight winner so I can kind of play 10 or 15 and obviously Felix was in the squad at this stage and Felix was just an amazing professional, an amazing person, and a really, really amazing player. So, and they were, you know, he was the same age as me, and they kind of saw him as the long-term, ten-year option at fullback. So, you know, I had a very kind of, you know, mature and rational conversation about right. You need if you want to go play ten, you probably need to. We we'll stop selecting you as the utility back since you get to play more games at ten, whether it be for your club or for Munster A, whatever. So. Um, my first year on the my the first year of my two year professional contract, I actually didn't play all that often for Munster. It was more I played if they were, if there was an injury crisis or there was you know they were giving me a chance or whatever. Um, and I mainly only I only covered kind of ten and fifteen. But away from that, I was playing ten for Connell a lot, and I was playing ten for Munster a, a lot. Um, and we won the the BNI Cup playing for Munster a, and we we. Uh, 
you know, I had a good year at 10 and my kicking came on and my game management came on and my ability to kind of command the respect and leadership of 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 uh, an A squad, but also the more senior players, I think, I think matured as well. Um, and then in the kind of Six Nations block where Ogar was away and stuff in kind of 2012, Keatley was starting 10. I was on the bench as the sub-10. Um, and I came on and I made some really good impacts in the game, whether it be closing out a game or or turning a game around. I think we, we were losing against Dragons. And I came on and we scored two tries, got a couple of kicks, and it was going really well. And, and the coach sat down and after they said, look, you deserve it. You, you've, you've, you've worked really hard. You've done everything we asked you. So we're going we're gonna to reward you with a, a start at 10 next week. So we flew to... A team that are now called Zebra, but at the time they were called Eroni, um, in in uh, Palma, in Italy. And I suppose it's only in hindsight you realize I just didn't deal with the the expectation of being a starter. Like being a being a, a bench player is easy because you can come out like you you don't have to start the game, you don't have to impose yourself. You come out, you you basically come on and adapt to the circumstances that are prevailing, whether it be closing out a game or trying to do something to turn around the game. Whereas I was <clears throat> asked to start a game at 10 against a team that like we should, you know, in theory, 99 times out of 100 once we should beat. Um, and we lost against Aroni. And I played really poorly, like just the kind of basic stuff that you do in your sleep just wasn't able to do. Not, not, from, a, not from a skill execution-wise, but from a decision-making perspective, like whether it be recognising that it's a four-on-three or, or a six-on-four and kicking it or kind of calling the a play that we usually run in the attacking half of the pitch in our defensive half of the pitch. So it was just kind of like the blinkers came on and the clouds, you know, the everything kind of claustrophobia came in. Um and I got I got subbed off at half time and it was like, you know, the review was fairly brutal, which was fine. I'm I've no problem with direct feedback. Um and I was like, right, geez, you know, it was kind of a wake up call that I need to sort that side out like you know that if, if I'm given an opportunity again you need to take it um and then I just had on the bench the following week and then the the internationals are back and I didn't get any game time for a while and then the last game of the season we played Ulster at home in Thoman Park and I was again named on the bench but on the Thursday uh, Ian Keatley took a knock in training, but it, it was kind of innocuous enough, and it was like, it'd be fine, be fine, be fine. And then on the like Friday evening late, I got a call saying that he had delayed kind of concussion symptoms, so they were pulling from match, and that I was going to start. And it was like, it was kind of like this liberating thing where I didn't have the whole week of building up as being the starter. I just came in on a Saturday morning, did the warm-up, and then played really well, and Munster played really well, and I played really well, kicked really well. And we played the following week then against Ospreys in the semi-final of the of the Mangers League. And <clears throat> Raj came back in, Keatley came back in, but I was brought over as kind of 23rd man. Uh, when, the, when the squad were dealing from a full deck, like it wasn't as if there was an injury crisis, it was more you played really well, so we're rewarding it for you. Even though you're not going to be in the matchday squad, we're gonna, you're going to play, whatever, you're going to be involved and you're going to be you know, right on the precipice of being in a knockout match when we're dealing from a full deck. So you're kind of in the top 25 players in the squad, basically, which was great. Um, uh, and it was kind of, it kind of was, it was like the culmination of kind of two months of, 
I didn't take that opportunity in March or February, whenever it was, when I, when I played poorly against Zeroni. But I think I've proven now to the coaches that, you know, I've shown resilience, I've shown an ability to, to, to start a game at 10 in Thoman Park against even a better side than Zeroni and kind of really guide the team around the place, make the right calls, make the right decisions, execute on my own skill set, bring other players into the game, etc. So I was kind of buzzing like that. I had played well and I was buzzing that I was involved. Even though I wasn't playing, I was involved the following week as well. Um, so yeah, that's that. And then another turning point happened. We can get into that in a minute. <laughs> what um, If you were to be a coach now and you were coaching in Munster and before that Aroni game, you had a, a young lad going in under the same circumstances that you went in, how would you deal with him to help him in that he didn't have not the capitulation but the the challenges yeah. that you had in that game? What would you do? Um, I would probably have some off-field sessions with him. So, like, there's the on-field side where you're 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 doing your team run or you're doing your 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 collective and units play on a, thir- on a Tuesday and Thursday etc but I would probably have like a couple of off-field sessions with him and prep that player to say you know these are the likely scenarios that are going to happen away from home so you know we're going to you know we are going to kick off or we're going to kick off and the first line is going to be on the halfway line what are we going to call here this is a, I think this is a good play to get to get you into the game but also to get as many players as possible into the game so call a three play you know three phase play or whatever um and then I might say, the first penalty we get that we're going to kick the touch on, you're going to call this play. So you kind of have like, you've armed the player. You've taken some of the decision-making out of him. You've told him that these are the three plays we're going to call in these three scenarios. Um, and then I'd probably just try and the, the kind of more tap into the more emotional side and kind of just say like, you know, for want of a better phrase, like back yourself, because if you don't back yourself, nobody else will. And I think, you know, and you're you're good enough to be here and uh uh you know, just play your just play your game. Like you're just play play the same way that you've always had. And the reason why you've gotten this far is because you're you're able to play a certain way or whatever. Um so trying to tap into that emotional side to make sure that he's full of confidence going in and feels as if he has enough preparation in the bank in terms of the the game plan and the technical side, but also is comfortable that, you know, if, if, if things change that he can just play his game. Um, but, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. I suppose a coach as well is also managing 15 other starters, seven or eight on the bench, but then also 15 people who aren't happy to not be involved. Um, so uh, easier said than done or there's time constraints as well. Yeah. <coughs> Yeah, no, I love what you say there, though. Um, you mentioned about you're good enough to be here and like putting trust in that player or like letting yeah. the player know that you trust them. And and yeah, given a, a kind of a banker ball or whatever, you know, I used to remember calling lineouts, you'd have won that I'm doing this first line out of the game no matter what. And it gets you into the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think like the main thing is, is that if you're first involvement in the game goes positively everything just settles whereas if you're first involved in the game goes poorly you're then chasing a positive outcome as soon as possible so I can't actually remember what happened the first thing in that game but I doubt it was positive because 
it, things just kind of compounded then, you know. Whereas if I had maybe either had a positive outcome or had a kind of a, a pre-made call as to what we're going to do on the first scrum or the first line-out, and it went according to plan, I probably would have been fine. But it was more I probably had a negative outcome and then went chasing it. And then your whole focus, you start losing the bigger picture. You start focusing on getting something positive going for, your, going for yourself rather than for the team, you know. Um, so yeah, a, a harsh lesson, but a great lesson as well for for any walk of life, really, rather than not just sport, like but anything really. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned another turn. So when you got back into the team end of that season, or back into the mix end of that season, yeah. what happened from there? So, um, uh, so Tony McGann, who was so Tony McGann and, and Jason Holland, who were the coaches at Munster at the time. Uh, announced they were leaving. So uh, Rob Penny was coming into Munster um, and a guy called Simon Mannix uh, was taking over the backs. Um, so I had a meeting with, with Tony and uh, Jason Holland before I left, before they left, sorry. And they were kind of, you know, doing a kind of a, a, an overview of your season, and, and, you know, progression points, even though they weren't going to be there, like they were very professional at the end and making sure that players knew where they stood and what they were supposed to work on, etc. And, and, we did all the kind of formal stuff where it was KPI driven and this, this, that, the other. But at the end, this was because Don, uh, Tony was leaving. He kind of said, look, Scott, I, I really hope to see you kick off. I think you, you have the opportunity here with the age, with, you know, with the age profile of, of Raj, et cetera. I think you have a real opportunity to kick on, you know, which was a huge kind of thumbs up for me that when we got past all the formality that informally he was saying that he wanted me to go well um, and and Jason Holland echoed it kind of saying that they were really happy with my progress and that they were really happy with the kind of maturity and, and the way my game had evolved and they wanted me out to just see it being put into practice week in week out and get a run of games together and really start challenging Keatley for the second spot but also you know put myself in position for for um, uh, the number one slot when 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 Raj was finished up or or even try and start challenging him before he finished up, um, which was great. So I came into into, into uh, preseason like literally like bouncing. Like I spent even though we had four weeks off, I basically I don't think I touched a drop of alcohol. You know, I you know, had the odd night out here and there, but didn't go on a on a crazy holiday. You know, spent a lot of time just kind of getting ready for the new season, and I hit the ground running in preseason. I'd never been fitter, never been stronger. Um, there was new competition in the squad, but JJ Hanron had now just come off the back of the 20s World Cup and had played very well. Um, and we were, you know, I suppose Ron Nogara wasn't really involved in preseason because he had been on the international tour, so he was away a bit. Uh, so it was myself, Keaton, and JJ kind of running as the 10s in, tra- in preseason and everything was going well and we were trying to embed the new game plan from the new coaching setup. And then in September, uh, I, th- I came off the bench against... So Keatley started against Edinburgh. I came off the bench, to, like did whatever he did. You know, it was kind of a five-minute cameo. The following week then, they said they were going to give JJ a go, which was fine. JJ came off the bench, did his kind of... Got his first cap, did his five or ten-minute cameo. The following week, they stayed with JJ, which was, again, you know, you're beginning to kind of go, right, what's going on here, you know? And then they announced the Heineken Cup squad. So at the time, the Heineken Cup squad was limited to I don't know, 36, 37 players, but the squad of Munster was maybe 41 or 2 or 43. So, you know, there's six lads who aren't going to be named in a Heineken Cup squad, which is 
very disappointing because it effectively means that you're not going to be involved in any European games for a whole season. Um, and Munster named the Highland Cup squad with Raj, Keatley and JJ named, um, which is obviously very disappointing because I had played well the previous year and I'd finished the year on a high and I'd trained really well the preseason and I'd gotten, you know, positive reinforcement from the out, even though they're outgoing coaching staff that I was heading the right direction. Um, and then I suppose, you know, that's mid-September and then all of a sudden it's Christmas time and you haven't played at all uh, Munster because you're not in the Highland Cup squad so they're focusing on those 37 players who are in the Highland Cup squad. So, you know, JJ was getting more and more reps. So Keaton was getting all the reps and then JJ was getting reps off the bench and I wasn't getting any game time at all. Um, and then it just you're having kind of difficult conversations with the coaching staff, and they're trying to, you know, I suppose this is where I was frustrated, and that they were they were the kind of messaging was you get your chance, you get your chance, you get your chance. But I eventually, effectively, I never got the chance, and my contract wasn't renewed. Um, which in hindsight, you know, at the time was very frustrating, and you're you know incredibly disappointed, like like really disappointed. Um, but in hindsight, I suppose it was more. And I've gone through it now in the business world where a change of management comes in and they make decisions not necessarily like sorry, obviously that you don't agree with, but they make it you know based on the the what they feel is the best interest of the organization. So they obviously you know they obviously felt that JJ had a higher ceiling than me. Um and he was also far cheaper. He was on an academy contract, I was on a professional contract. Uh so they're like we can we can move forward with JJ um, and get rid of Scott. It'll save us money. You know, obviously there's a commercial element to it as well. But I think I think the most frustrating thing, I, I actually had no real issue with JJ. The most frustrating to me was that my contract was expiring. Roger announced his retirement. So they were now going to go forth with just two out halves, uh, an established out half in Keatley and an academy out half in JJ. With a third choice being Johnny Holland, who was in you know sub academy or first choice, or sorry, first year of the academy. So that was the kind of thing I couldn't really get my head around. Was kind of going, this isn't actually about. There's a commercial element. They actually just don't rate me as a player. Like they don't see me being anywhere near good enough to meet the standard, which was you know again really frustrating because they'd obviously made that decision based on no game time because I. They, they announced signing cup squad in September, so they had you know I played five ten minutes. So look, like it, it is what it is. I've you know I've I've made my peace with it a long time ago, but um, it was very frustrating at the time because my mindset was it's now time to kick on, and and I've been kind of endorsed by the organization, even though those are outgoing coaches, to really try and drive on, and then things change very quickly. Um, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah it's. It's probably frustrating as well that you're like the whole season, you're thinking that you're not sure what's going on really, but yeah. they had their decision made probably in September. This guy isn't yeah. good enough. He's We're going to get rid of him at the end of the year. We'll just keep him around yeah. because he's here. And you then don't find, you want to hear it straight from a coach. Yeah. yeah and that, that was, and I like, I, I would, that would, the only thing that sticks out with me because there's, you know, there's business reasons, there's commercial reasons, there's rugby reasons, and it's absolutely fine that a coach doesn't rate a player. Like, there's probably players I don't rate who feel that they're better than I think they are, etc. So I'm fine with that. It was more the the um, 
the evasion of some of the hard questions I was asking, you know, pre, you know, kind of November, December time. And I didn't get told until kind of late January that my contract wasn't being renewed. And you're, so you're kind of, you spend kind of six months of a nine month season just spinning your wheels, you know. Um, and then, you know, maybe in hindsight, I probably could have pushed harder to try and get a loan somewhere or, or get out and, and try and get a medical joke or somewhere or whatever. But uh, my mindset at the time was no fight and prove them wrong, fight and prove them wrong. But they, like the decision already made. Um, so, yeah, uh, another, another life lesson. Yeah, yeah, lots of learns along the way. And at that point, then, you know, January, when you were told you're not being kept on January, February, that season, you just did, when did you decide to not pursue professional rugby further? So the first thing, the first thing was uh, the culture in Munster and Agnes was the, 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 the kind of values my family instilled in me was that you, you do the right thing. So it was, Yes, I'm disappointed. Yes, you know, I'm I'm I want to scream and shout, whatever, but but the reality is you have to be a good professional. So, you know, I trained as hard, if not harder, than I ever did those six months, even though I knew I was being kept on. Um, and then you start to weigh up your options. So I kind of had in my mind I had four options. So one was continue to play rugby, one was to go traveling, one was uh to retire completely or one was to try and get some enjoyment back in rugby through a different a, a, you know another avenue so to go through them so the community player rugby one i decided right if i want to continue to play rugby what are the things i want to achieve so my lifelong ambition was to play for monster and then as a result of that play for ireland so i said right i've, I've you know i've played for monster if i want to play for ireland i need to play for another irish province and you know become first choice there and try to put myself in shop window so um, my agent started having conversations with some of the other Irish provinces. Um, yeah, a former teammate of ours, Craig Ronaldson, had just signed with Connacht. So Connacht said, no, we're not looking for any more outhaves. Leinster obviously were full of outhaves. And Ulster at the time had, um, they had a couple of houses as well. They had Niall O'Connor and they had, uh, they had, they had um, Paddy Jackson was coming through. So that, that avenue is, is closed. So then I was like, right, if I want to keep playing rugby, what do I want to do for? Do I want to do it for lifestyle or do I want to do it for purely kind of financial reward? So I said, right, how, how will I kind of meet those goals? So we started looking at France um, and, and the premiership, obviously. So no takers from the premiership. And then a couple of offers, or sorry, a couple of expressions of interest came in from France. So uh, Ionex and a, a, another club called Tarb came sniffing around and asked for videos and asked for whatever. But again, uh, no kind of concrete offer came through. So then I was left with kind of a couple championship level clubs in England where you'd be earning, you know, in around 30 to 40,000 sterling a year. But the kind of horror stories you hear that not all of it was always paid and you're kind of chasing your tail, etc. And I was like, you know, I'd worked hard to get a... a you know, I've done well on my leaving cert. I worked really hard in college to get a college degree. I wasn't really enjoying my rugby at the time. I didn't see that I, you know, that would change by going to the UK and playing in championship level rugby. Not that, you know, people should, if they want, that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. So then I was like, right, what are my next options? Um, so I could have gone traveling for a year or it was go back to college uh, or go to work, basically. So 
I decided to go to go to college because I said if I went from like the professional rugby environment straight into a work environment, I'd probably probably find it challenging that transition. So I said I'd go back to college. So I applied for um, UC Berkeley. I applied for Oxford and Cambridge, and I applied for Trinity in Dublin. Um, the conversations I had with Berkeley, which you will be familiar with, were that if I come over, I won't be able to play because I won't have to be an undergrad. I'd be a postgrad. Uh, so that kind of ruled that one out. Didn't get into Oxford. Got offered a place in Cambridge, but I couldn't afford it. It was it was like fifty grand sterling, just crazy crazy money. I didn't have. And then I got offered a place in um, Trinity. So I ended up taking the the did a masters in Trinity in management, and then I decided to join the Dublin club. And um, I was thinking about joining Trinity, but then I was like, you know, I'm going to be a good bit older than the lads and. Like I'm kind of out of the college buzz thing. Like I'm kind of moving into the real world. Um, so I decided against that, and I joined Lansdowne because Craig Ronaldson had just left Lansdowne, and they needed they had a hold of ten, and they had a really you know really good coaching setup with Mike and I think uh, Emmett Farrell was back coach at the time, um, and they just come off winning the IL. So I joined Lansdowne. Um, I can stop there if you want because that's a whole other chapter of of of. Uh, of kind of I suppose reigniting my passion for the game and you know really enjoying the amateur side of it and I became a different person as well because this was the mental side was different in that when you're a professional and you're not first choice you're always questioning yourself and there's loads of like self-doubt is by the wrong you're always questioning like am I good enough and, and you know what more can I do and how can I get this guy out whereas when you go from being a professional back into being an amateur the mindset shifts into I'm the best player here. Rightly or wrongly, like I might not have been, but your mindset is that I'm the best player here um, and I can make these guys better and I can add a huge amount of value here and we can win multiple cups and trophies here. Um, so it's just it's just an interesting mindset shift because this, the external circumstances are different. Yeah, and thanks for your time. I know you have the kids and everything there, but uh, there with... The, so then how did you find that transition to Lansdowne did that mindset shift happen pretty quick or how did you find it because I remember even your first session I remember meeting you how did you find that like you know you played 40 50 times for months so you played in Heining Cup semi-final you've done all this and then go and play in club rugby how did you find that um I, I, I found it okay I think see obviously it's the pre- previous year I had played it all that much for Munster so I was playing week in week out for Con. so I played against Lansdowne twice in that in that league season um, I was used to playing AIL, AIL rugby at that stage um, I suppose the challenge for me really the challenge for me was a more remote one was was you know what do you want from this like you know you think you're the best player but what is it that you want from this game or what do you want from this season or what do you want from this club or what's going to satisfy your your ambition, because um, you know the, the there was no financial incentive, there was no international incentive, there was no fifty thousand people watching you incentive, there was no uh, there was no real ego incentive. You know, if, if that's what you play for, so it's like you know I needed to. The thing I probably struggled with was finding why you know the what why do I want to play, um, and it probably like you know I uh, I played a few games for Lansdowne. Where I was brutal, like really bad. Um, even though I thought I was the best player, I played really poorly. 
especially the kind of first four, first half of the season, <clears throat> I think eventually Mike moved me back to 15. He was like, you just need to just play a bit. Like, um, and then I played, a, I played a J1 game. I never played a J1 game. I played a J1 game. But then the second half of the season, it kind of turned back around. And actually, that was a year where there was no playoffs in the, in the AL. Uh, and Clontarf won the league that year. But we played Clontarf in the last second last game in the Aviva. And we battered them. And it got us up into fourth. And I remember sitting in the changing room talking to, to, you were probably there, talking to Boucher and talking to the other lads. And we were saying, if there was a playoffs, we would have put the mortgage on ourselves winning because we had finally clicked. And that we, carried, we carried that into the following season where we did click and we, 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 we actually won the league. Um, and then, like, you know, I, I suppose you just, things you find a bit of equilibrium where you're kind of going you know I'm doing this in college and I've got this going on in my personal life with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um, and you kind of figure out you know what playing at a you know trying to perform or play as best as you can on a Saturday uh, against whatever team it is and having a few points afterwards and you know that's that's really rewarding you know um, and that's really good fun and you know, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do this more, and I want to try and win as much as I can. And you know, I really fortunate then to kind of have like five and a half, six years of of uh, really, really successful time at Anza. Yeah, unreal. And is there anything? Cheers for your time. Is there anything uh, you would say to that younger fella who's saying monster? Because it's interesting. I, I think that when you start to say care less a bit or like worry less it's easier said than done but I think yeah care less and just you focus on just playing and just enjoying it that things yeah. click and things happen and it's easier <clears throat> said than done because it's hard to do that when you're second or third string and you're trying to keep a contract and all that but um yeah it's funny the way that is but is there anything you'd say to that say, yeah. younger lad <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to articulate. So I think I think the when when you become a professional, you're supposed to, especially as an out half, as a decision maker, you're supposed to basically make decisions based on analyzing the context around you, the circumstances around you, and it's all it's almost like a process. It's like you're trying to you know gather as many data points as possible to make a decision that's going to give you the most likely positive outcome. So on a percentage uh, perspective, you're going to get a positive outcome nine times out of 10 of this or whatever. Whereas when you're playing underage and you're playing for school and you're playing for, you know, Munster 18s or whatever, um, and you're not playing, and and if you're not playing professionally, sometimes you're just having a go. You know, you're you're just backing yourself. You're saying, I'm more skillful or I'm going to pull off this if I, if I pass it to, to, I don't know, Foster Horn, he's going to make a break, you know? Um, whereas at the professional level, everything is constrained and it's all like you have to, everything's process-driven, everything's like outcome-driven and how can I turn the tables or how can I swing momentum in our way or whatever? And uh, you know, that's, why, that's why professionals are so good because like, they, they make the right decision the right time all of the time. Whereas at amateur level, a guy makes a break, even though he should have never ran the ball, you know, or he he'll put a crossfield kick in, but he should have never done it because the the, the winger was marked, 
Um, so some like my so my biggest it's hard to do like is is try and marry that that level of professionalism and and data driven analysis and data driven decision making, but don't lose the 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 bit of joie and the bit of the bit of a reason why you enjoy the game and why you love the game. Um, and I suppose back yourself, you know, because if, you know, if you don't back yourself, nobody else will. So uh, have that kind of you know build build the inner confidence that you are good enough at that you know. And, but that, that I'm rambling here, but that that's built through work. Like it's um, like so when I go back to talk about my passing, so when my passing was found out in April of 20, 2007, and I went to work on my passing, that wasn't just passing on a Thursday training, a Thursday, uh, Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday of training and Saturday morning of training. It was making sure I had two balls at home and doing 100 passes a day uh, and doing that kind of unseen work. Or or when my kicking, when I, when I became a, a, kind of, uh, a good goal kicker, it was built on hours and hours of kicking. Uh, not, I want to be good at kicking now, I'm just doing it on a, a Tuesday and Thursday. So you kind of, when, once you do the work, you build up a kind of an inner an inner peace or an inner confidence in your ability to do things. And then if you can marry that with the, with the bit of joie and the, the understanding, the decision-making, you will get far more enjoyment out of it. But that's, you know, as I said, that's easier said than done. I suppose if you're a really young player, never lose the back yourself, never lose the, uh, the bit of joie, as I said, and also start putting in the work. Yeah. Love it. Cheers, bud. And now you say it's easier said than done, but it's uh, it's it's there. You know, it's it's straightforward at the same time. You know, like putting yeah. in the work and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, yeah. thanks, Mill, for your time, bud. Greatly appreciate it. Been good catching up. No problem, Brian. Thank you for having me, and um, congratulations on the on the book and the podcast. Um, hopefully, it's really benefiting some some of the the younger younger rugby players out there. Um, uh, very much uh, a worthwhile endeavor. So well done. Cheers. As I mentioned in the intro, myself and Scotty played together for a couple of years in Lansdowne and I was definitely very grateful for that because he was a huge influence in our team and yeah, a key, key part of the team that won the 2015 All-Ireland title. He was our starting 10 and I was in the row for that team. But yeah, I remember many many games when Scott would kick us to a victory it laid on I remember one down in Cork Con last play of the game a challenging enough kick him kicking a penalty to get us a draw which is always a great result down there and while he mentioned that when he came to Lansdowne he didn't have any ambitions to go further up and yeah he didn't but I certainly remember him always putting in the work like he would always be doing his extras kicking at the sticks or kicking into the net out of hand before or after training and so yeah just testament to him that he still wanted to be the best player that he could be within reason obviously while balancing everything else that he was doing and once I remember on a wet and windy Tuesday night we were training on the backfield at the Aviva Stadium where we train in Lansdowne and play out of. And we were doing a Bronco, or not, sorry, not a Bronco, a bleep test. You know that test when it's like 20 meters and you just go over back, over back at the bleep. And then you drop out when you can't do any more. So we were doing this test anyway. And as you can imagine, the forwards start dropping out. 
and then we were rested up the forwards and we were going down to the scrum machine this is after we'd all finished and there was a few backs still going and then a couple of guys were left and it was the guys who were pushing to make the Irish sevens team that year Mark Roach uh, Foster Horn I think Ian Fitzpatrick might have been there but Scott as well and they were the only few left and then another guy dropped out and all of a sudden it was just Foster and Scott left and so I genuinely can't remember who won it because the forwards Mike said hey come on we gotta we gotta go and hit the scrum machine which was kind of 30 meters away around the corner but I always remember thinking geez fair play to Scott like he's He's not trying to make something. He doesn't have a reason or a need to be the fittest. And I don't even think he was. Uh, but even though he was doing well in the fitness test. But I just remember seeing it and just thinking his mindset. Like it was a real professional mindset. And it's something that you need to have. Like just pushing pushing yourself and pushing through that kind of pain barrier. Or just keep going and going. You know where he was this is probably six months or a year after he'd stopped playing professionally and as he said himself he was enjoying the pints after a game on a Saturday but uh, still was at the top of the fitness tests with those guys who have gone on to play in the World Series and play in the Olympics and do great things and who were training pretty much full time at, at the time so yeah hats off to Scotty and it was always great to get to play with him on a Saturday the book on how to become a pro rugby player my new book is available now on amazon worldwide and i just want to say thank you to all of you who are getting in touch and give me feedback i really really appreciate it and it's cool also hearing how many of you are getting it for your sons daughters nieces nephews for young people that you know and saying how the lessons in the book go beyond sports and are for life as well so Really grateful for that, and that's really cool to hear. Thank you. I think I've gotten back to all of my messages now, but sorry if I took a while to get back to you. I'm trying to keep up, and I've had a busy couple of weeks since Christmas. I did talks for the players in St. Munchens College in Limerick, the Senior Cup team and Junior Cup team. Then, a couple of days after that, I was in Corinthians Rugby Club in Galway, did sessions with the under 14s, 15s, 16s and earlier this week I was over with the Glasgow Warriors for a couple of days which was brilliant. If you'd like to get in touch about anything my Instagram, Twitter and TikTok are at Offfield Rugby. My LinkedIn is my name Brian Moylet and my email is offfieldrugby at gmail.com and you can do so through my website as well offfieldrugby.com and I will leave links for all of those in the show notes and I'll also leave a link to Amazon where you can get my new book thanks Emil as always for being here greatly appreciate it would you please make sure that you're following the podcast that really helps it really helps me grow the podcast reach more people help more people and also if you want to be a legend you could send this episode on to someone and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening on whatever platform that is thanks emil 
as always, have a good one. Cheers.